When I was in high school, I think a freshman or a sophomore, my, one summer my family took a trip whitewater rafting to the Royal Gorge. And the gorge is well known as the second most intense commercially rafted trip inside the state of Colorado. They put rapids on a scale of one to five based on how dangerous and technical they are to navigate. Uh, the gorge is mostly full of fours, there's a couple of threes, and one single five on an average summer with normal amounts of water. But every single rapid, before every single rapid, I would ask our guide the same question. What is this one rated? Uh, the guide took that to, to assume I was ready to live on the edge and that I wanted them all to be big and uh, I, I was ready for a big adventure, but the honest answer was that I was just freaked out and I was worried, nervous about the five, dreading it all day long. I was terrified until we finally got through it, but nothing was scarier than when we pulled off to go cliff jumping. Our guide told my dad that there was a great spot to pull the boat off and a little trail we could walk up to a great jumping spot, and my dad was all over it. My mom was on this trip. She wanted nothing to do with the jumping, so she stayed with the boat. Uh, my sister and her boyfriend at the time, Morgan, who was a college freshman, had come with us, and I absolutely idolized this guy. He was awesome, uh, and we also had my best friend, Matt, on the trip with us, so we followed the guide up to the spot. It was only about 30 feet high, if if I remember right, but as our guide explained it, uh, the rock sticks out about halfway down, so you're going to have to run up and get a good jump out away from the rock so you don't hit it, and you're kind of aiming for the middle of the river, because this is a Colorado River. It's not wide. It's not very deep, so you want to hit the middle where it's the deepest, so he jumps first to show us how it goes, and I'm like freaking out on top of this cliff. My dad went next, and then my sister was going to go. She wanted to go before Mo Morgan to prove that she was brave and worthy of him. <laughs> he, was, he was a really popular guy, so she walks up to the edge and is clearly scared. So Morgan, being the awesome role model that he was, he goes over and asks her if she wants him to go first. And she said no, because then she would be up there all alone. And once Matt and I finished puking, we asked her if she realized that we were still up on the cliff with them. So he suggested that they go together, and she agreed to that. So he counted down from three, and they ran up and jumped off the cliff hand in hand. It was beautiful or something. So then it was my turn, and I walk up to the edge, and I look down, and I am freaking out. And my friend Matt asked me if I'm scared, and I'm like, Nah, man, I do this all the time. Like, uh, uh, why? Are you, are you scared? Because, I mean, you can go first if you want. I'll be up here to support you. Uh, that's fine. So Matt goes up to the edge, and uh, he looks down for about an eternity. And then he looks at me and is like, I don't know, man. You, you want to go together? I'm like, are we, are we going to hold hands? Like, that's, that's weird. Uh, he said no, so, so I was down, and... Um, we get up there, and, and I was like, all right, he's like, all right, wh why don't you count us off? I was like, okay. No, man, why don't, why don't you count us off? And he said, okay. Do you just want to walk back down? And I said, yes, thank you. So we start walk backing, walk backing, we start walking back down, heads hung in shame, my sister laughing, obviously never willing to let that go, and I was mad, right? 
my fear for my life kept me from doing something that I knew in my heart was going to be awesome. So instead, I was left with disappointment, which boiled itself into anger. But obviously, I don't want to be angry at myself, so I had to find ways to displace that on other people. Obviously, it wasn't my fault that I didn't jump. I was just supporting my friend. My sister only jumped because of her boyfriend. She isn't any better than me. Does this progression sound familiar to anyone, or am I alone here? Thinking about it, fear, worry, or whatever you want to call it, hasn't just kept me from jumping off a cliff in my life. It's kept me from pursuing my master's degree after I had already gotten accepted into a crisis counseling program. Because what if we can't afford it? That wasn't the real issue, though. We can't now with Asa. But, but I missed my best opportunity to pursue a dream that I've had for years because more realistically, what if I don't do well? It's kept me from actively pursuing trying to find a way to, to sell things that I make because there's something deeply intimate about building something, and if I put a price on it, what if someone doesn't think it's worth that? Or what if people I know see it and think I'm crazy, it's not that good, by extension, I'm not that good. It's kept me from pursuing another thing I really enjoy in, in playing the piano. I've never given it an honest attempt because I know that if I start taking it seriously, at some point, people are going to have to see it. And what if, what if I fail? And you say, oh, who cares if you enjoy it? Well, apparently, unfortunately, I care. And countless times it has kept me from doing what I know God has laid on my heart to do the deep desires of my heart placed there by God himself, the ways in which he has designed for me to participate in the advancing of his kingdom, the things that will really make me feel fulfilled, the things that will help push me and others to hope, healing, and purpose, but I'd have to put myself out there. And that's scary just this past week, Asa rode off in a car for the very first time without either me or his mom in the car with him. And I did not like that very much. I immediately told myself, I just walked into the house and said, well, I better get busy because my mind is just going to start running amok with all of the possibilities here. And I've told you my irrational nightmares before about Janie dying in a plane crash or, or whatever. And those are just my personal worries when it comes to how insecure of a person I really am at times. The world has given us lots of things to worry about this year, hasn't it? And the problem is it seems like nothing is able to make us more ineffective at achieving our own dreams, the desires of our hearts, or more ineffective at providing for a family, or more ineffective for the kingdom of God than incessant worrying. And the bigger problem is there are plenty of real things for us to be worried about right now. We all see it, we feel it, the growing tension, growing discontent, the growing divide, we feel it, the racial tension, COVID, political stuff, family stuff, economic stuff, joblessness. All of these things are leading us to stress, to a sense of hopelessness, to overwhelming amounts of worry. We live in a world that's a mess. That's just where we find ourselves right now, so now what? Where do we go from here? That's the journey I want to go on, the question that I want to ask this morning. And I don't think there is anyone better to give us answers to questions than Jesus. So I want to start out with some of the things he had to say, some of the advice he had to give us about worry. We're going to pick up 
in the middle of his most famous teaching in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So Jesus starts us off with a list of things people like to worry about. We can add a lot of things to this list today. Don't worry about COVID. Don't worry about politics, about people seeing who you really are. Whatever it is, don't worry. But Jesus doesn't just tell us what not to do. He tells us what to do as well. To follow Jesus, we need to be bird watchers. Right, so everybody get out your goofy hats and binoculars, buy a fanny pack, basically dress up like a mix of Nate and Jake Garrett, uh, and let's go check out some birds. But as you read the next line, it's, it's easy to tell. It's not actually about the birds. It's about the guy feeding the birds. Jesus wants us to remember this in the midst of everything, whatever it is, remember this. We have a loving Father. But Jordan, that's church talk. I expect to hear that. That isn't actually helpful in my life. Stay with me here. Jesus is saying, look up and realize that there is a larger story playing out here. And God is in control. Just look at the birds. And then he has an important question for all of us here this morning. Are you not more important than they? And the answer seems obvious, but this is where it can break down for so many of us. You see, we, we know this intellectually. Yes, we're more important than birds. But sometimes we fail to experience the security and the confidence that should come with that knowledge. Have you ever noticed that guys tend to start caring less about impressing others after uh, they get married? or happily married guys anyway. Maybe girls do it too, but I'm just speaking from my own experience here. Like, I obviously still care quite a bit what you guys think of me, but I try an awful lot less hard to impress people than I used to. Why? Janie. I I, I try really hard to impress her still, but there is a huge amount of security and confidence that comes from knowing the most important person in my life loves me. No matter what, has my back, is on my side, even if I'm wrong. And that is what we should all be able to get from our relationship with God. Now, the list of reasons this may break down for us is long and varying between people, but a lot of it, I think, can be categorized by simply saying regrets from our past. Because of mistakes we've made, how we have hurt people, how we have been hurt by people, the things we've said or the things that have been said to us or about us, things we've done or things that have been done to us, the regrets of our past, all the things that have caused us to lose hope, to lose heart, all of the times we have stood on the edge of a cliff and decided that it wasn't worth the risk. The enemy uses these things to spin a narrative that says we are less then, less deserving, that God is distant, or that he's disappointed in us, or that he's finished with us. So what do we do with that? Some of us put our heads down and try harder, try harder to work harder, to know and believe the right things, to live a more religious life. The problem is there is no life 
in that. We end up living forgiven but not free. We don't experience everything that Jesus came for, the healing, the redemption. We don't know what a daily life with an unconditionally loving Father can be like. Morgan Snyder in his book, Becoming a King, said this, Christianity is not merely a set of principles for living. It's an invitation into an interactive life and a kingdom, a reality by which we walk with a loving Father and are able to not only navigate life, but are able to thrive in life as sons and daughters who are known, are being fought for, and who are being made whole and holy through the loving pursuit of their dad. As the world falls apart around us, as the world keeps going from bad to worse, do we have that? In the midst of everything going on, Jesus says, you have to know this. You have to stay anchored in this. You have a loving Father. In light of everything going on in our lives and in our stories and in the world all around us, we have to stay anchored in that. So let's keep going. We'll pick it up in verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And Jesus points us to a second problem here, and it's not clothes. Jesus starts by saying, hey, don't focus on the facts and circumstances of your life. Focus on the Father. But he also says this, when you look at what you're worried about, what you're focused on, you have to remember that faith is a verb. And I know English teachers may get mad about that, and can we just agree that at least in the Bible, it really seems like it's a verb. It's an action word. Or we talk all the time like, we're a people of faith, like it's something that we have. But James says in his letter that faith without action is what? Dead. So we can say it, we can pray it, we can preach it all we want, but this is really something we have to work out. We have to exercise to strengthen. You can say you have faith all you want, but what is the only way to prove that you have faith? By doing something with it. So Jesus is saying, amidst all of the struggles of your life, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What about COVID? What about politics? What about, what about, what about? Lean into your loving Father, and here's the faith piece. Even when the facts and the circumstances of your life are suggesting to you that he isn't there or that he doesn't care. That's where trust comes in. That's where faith comes in. So here's a question that comes to mind. How are we doing with that? What are we doing with the tension we feel, the stress, the anxiety, the anger, the hatred, the worry that we are feeling? You know, the human tendency is to run to someone or something with it. So the question we have to stop and ask ourselves this morning is, who or what is my trusting confidence most in these days? Who or what am I running to to medicate my problems with? When you feel stressed, how do you respond that is what your trust is most in. Is it your hard work? Is it a bottle? Is it your spouse? Is it a screen? Is it a friend? What is it? 
when looking over the edge has you really freaked out, what do you do with it? Do you abandon your dreams and blame somebody else? Do you look to a friend? Do you find comfort in an addiction? Or do you find security and confidence in the loving pursuit of your dad? We owe it to ourselves to take the time to answer that question honestly this morning. Let's pick up the the sermon in verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus says, in front of worry, in front of the problems of this world, which there are many, Jesus says, you have a loving Father. Put your faith in Him. Lean into Him, even when circumstances make you think that He isn't there or He doesn't really care. And then He confronts us with this question. Which kingdom is first in your life? When you read through the Gospels, every time Jesus is experiencing confrontation or temptation, every moment of tension in his stories, people are trying to pull Jesus into kingdom of the world kinds of things rather than kingdom of heaven kinds of things. Jesus, what do you think about politics? What do you think about taxes? Aren't you hungry? Why are you breaking the Sabbath? When are you going to start the revolution to set us free from Rome? Who can sit at your right and your left, Jesus? Call down angels from heaven to save you. All over the place, Jesus is consistently saying, no, it's not that it doesn't matter, but that's just not my kingdom. When the world is falling down around you, when there is tension, when there are unanswered questions in your life, what you have to remember is that we need to stay centered in the correct kingdom. What's the best advice I can give you if you're experiencing some worry over our country, over illness, over a new job, over making friends, over parenting, over anything? Stay centered in the correct kingdom. I actually stole that line and a lot of these thoughts today from another pastor, and he specified why he didn't use the word right instead of correct. Because inevitably, he thought, some people would take right to mean like not left, as in Republicans and Democrats, and that is exactly what we are not talking about. You know what a lot of the worry, the stress, the arguing, the hate, and the junk we are dealing with comes from? comes from us allowing ourselves to get caught up in the wrong kingdom. I'm not saying that some life situations that some of you guys have found yourselves in aren't scary or that you shouldn't be fearful, and I'm obviously not suggesting this as a simple fix for, like, clinical anxiety or depression. Oh, just focus on God, pray more, that'll go away. That's not what I'm saying. That's a different conversation that needs to happen on a more personal basis and with a doctor. Uh, So don't confuse what I'm actually talking about with a completely separate issue. But I know that you feel this happening to us. We're being pulled into the wrong kingdom, and a lot of the mess we see can be linked to that. I've noticed something in me recently. For a good part of this year, I may be having a conversation or or watching a conversation happen on social media or read an article, and I just get angry. 
and I suddenly feel a weight like somebody is pulling me underwater down to the bottom of the ocean. And I realize that this is how I feel when I'm allowing myself to be centered in the wrong kingdom. When I care too much about American politics, when I care too much about what other people are doing and how they're reacting to a pandemic as if we should have known some obvious and perfect way to solve this crisis, or when I watch the news, or when I get on social media, or when I just have any conversation with somebody who's centered in the wrong kingdom, in the kingdom of this world, it's not that these things aren't important, they are. And it's not that I'm not willing to have these conversations. I am. It's just that they aren't life-giving. Jesus turned every conversation about kingdom of the world stuff into an opportunity to have a life-giving conversation. When is the last time you've done that? When's the last time I've done that? I can tell you that it hasn't been once during this past political season that I have seen from any person here, myself included. Just like the enemy will use our regrets from our past, the pain in our stories, he also will use our worries about tomorrow, and that strategy is working really, really well in our country right now. We have got to be the ones, Christians, Jesus followers, have got to be the ones to break that cycle and stay anchored in a loving Father no matter what our present circumstances say and focus first on the kingdom of heaven to find ways to bring life, to bring joy, to bring freedom and redemption, hope and healing into conversations and news that are weighing people down. How are we doing with that? If you're willing to be honest your answer might be similar to mine, that I'm looking over that edge and walking away. Because apparently my trust isn't most in my loving Father. My life isn't centered in the kingdom of heaven. I haven't been seeing enough of the big picture lately. I am absolutely overwhelmed with worry. So you, if you are struggling with this this year, you're not alone. And this problem, believe it or not, is not new in 2020. Believe it or not, God isn't surprised by the state of the world today, and he isn't surprised by our struggles to focus well on him in it. He isn't disappointed in us. He isn't surprised. Jesus actually predicted these types of things. You know what he said? He said, in this life, you're going to have struggles you're going to have pain, and I'm not going to take those things away. I'm not just going to erase the difficulties, but, if, but you don't have to be afraid, and you don't have to worry. Why? Because I have overcome the world, and I'm not going to take everything away, but I am going to give you my spirit so that you can have the strength to stand up and walk through it. If we listen to Jesus' advice from Matthew 6, he is ultimately saying, that we will find not an easier life, but rest for your soul. Could anyone here use some rest for your soul today? When we have our regrets from our past, our worries about tomorrow, we also have the reality of today to worry about too. We're about to walk out these doors or, or get off this online service and get slammed with everything that's happening but fortunately, we have an opportunity to take a moment to refocus right now. 
refocus on our loving Father and remember that all of His promises are true because we can see what Jesus did for us on the cross. When you finish up online this morning, I would encourage you to take a moment to take communion and think, meditate on these words from Hebrews 12. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him so that we do not grow weary and lose heart. How do we not grow weary and lose heart? We remember that we have a loving father. We lean into that regardless of what our present circumstances say. We stay centered in the correct kingdom and we focus our attention on Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for for the ability we have to, to gather together and to, to refocus on you, to be reminded how much you love us. And God, how, how much security and confidence we can draw just from that. God, this year has been crazy, has been difficult, has been scary, but I ask that, uh, that you can give us strength through your spirit to, to, to walk through this uh, with confidence in you and your love. Oh, we love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.